Hello and welcome to the National Politics Podcast. Uh, lots to talk about this week. Uh, I'm Callum Baird, I'm the editor of The National and I'm joined today by Shona Craven, our community editor. Hello. And Christine Patterson, uh, our reporter. Hello. Now, I'm not actually sure how to get this onto the computer after this, so if you're listening to this, hopefully I've succeeded, well I will have succeeded, um, but I've still got a bit of work, work to do there, but uh, let's get talking. So, lots happening this week, loads happening in Brexit again. Uh, this was the, the week of no confidence, uh, it's the week when no deal preparations have been stepped up. Uh, we also want to talk a little bit about Westminster conduct and the tone of debate there. Uh, we've had a couple of interesting things. Corbyn has just called Theresa May a stupid woman in the Commons and Ian Blackford was last night told to get back to Sky. So we'll talk about that and uh, a wee bit about immigration later on as well. So, Shona, what is happening in Brexit this week? Oh, everything and nothing as usual. Lots of hot air and uh, fury, but to what end? It's not clear. This no confidence motion was tabled last night, inconveniently after our deadline, yeah. and that of most of the other papers. So I saw a few people actually online today saying, "Why are the newspapers ignoring this? Isn't this terrible?" And it's like, well, because they timed it really badly. Um, there's not really any conspiracy there. Um, it looks like you know Labour are not going to back it. And to clarify, this is no confidence in the government as opposed to no confidence in Theresa May, which is the tree that Jeremy so Corbyn is barking it's, up. It's probably worth kind of recapping exactly what's happened and, and explaining these no confidence motions a wee bit. So over the weekend, the SNP were challenging Labour to call for a no confidence motion in the government, yeah. which has the potential to bring down Theresa May and, and yeah. force a general election. Yeah. Um, on Monday, Corbyn instead was briefing journalists that he was going to table a motion in the Prime Minister and not the government. Uh, and this motion wouldn't be binding at all, so the UK government could effectively ignore it, which is what they did. Um, and then the SNP last night um, submitted a, a, a motion of no confidence in the government. That was them and the Greens. And, and the Greens and, uh, yeah, uh, Lib Dems and... and, and yeah, um, and everyone. Never pronounced and, but the problem is, because the SNP aren't the official opposition, mm -hmm. Theresa May can effectively just ignore this motion as well. So we need Jeremy Corbyn to do something after kind of not doing a whole lot this week. Yeah, um, to do something significant, not something, not gesture politics. That's a, that's a hallmark of Corbyn though, isn't it? Corbyn is gesture politics. Yeah. yeah. He's All talk uh, and no action, or action, but of limited value. <laughs> Well, even the way that his his motion on Monday was handled was was completely incompetent, wasn't it? Because he briefed journalists that he was going to do it at about twelve, and then at one o'clock appeared to back out of it, and then two hours later tabled it. After all, uh, managing to annoy all of his MPs in the process. It was interesting what what other Labour MPs will will do. Will they back this SNP motion? Because I know uh, people like Ian Murray and and some of the Labour rebels were calling for Corbyn to do exactly what the SNP have called for them to do. So Labour are, are, are kind of in disarray in this and it, it's really disappointing, isn't it? Because this is when you when you really need uh, the opposition to, to, to take a stand. It's one of the most important um, months and uh, years in, in British political history and the opposition are completely hopeless. I, I think what we're seeing now is a continuation of what we've seen since the start of Corbyn, really, in, in that leadership role. Um, he has failed to unify the party, and that meant when it came to the pre-referendum period, that very, very short, very key pre-referendum period, um, there was a lot of running to be done that, that perhaps wasn't done in terms of getting all the issues out there. Um, ever since then, just splits within the party are, are, are really hampering um, 
the Corbyn and, and doing what the, the, the leader of the opposition is supposed to be doing, which is holding the government to account. And quite frankly, standing in the chamber and muttering that Theresa May is, is a stupid woman is, is not what the leader of the opposition is supposed to be doing. Well, this is it, isn't it? So Corbyn's slogan, or one of his many slogans, is a kinder, gentler politics. And Indeed. calling the, the Prime Minister a stupid woman isn't exactly that, is it? No, it's definitely not. And it's even more um, kind of galling when you don't seem to have any less stupid ideas yourself. You know, takes one to know one, maybe. And um, it wasn't the uh, the only kind of uh, Westminster chat, I suppose, that has, has kind of offended people this week. Uh, Ian Blackford, last night, um, in, during an emergency debate on Brexit, in fact, just before um, the SNP's emergency debate on Brexit, was told to go back to Sky mm-hmm. by a Tory backbencher. Now, I don't know, what does, what does that say about their attitude to the SNP and to Scotland? Well, it's another another mutter, isn't it? It's another another wee jibe from the side. Um, this is Nicholas Soames. He does have uh, something of a, a record when it comes to unparliamentary language and unparliamentary conduct, um, particularly uh, towards women, towards the SNP. Um, we, we saw before the, the, the barking yeah, episode with Tasmina Ahmed Sheikh. Um, go back to Sky. I mean, honestly... <sighs> Who talks like that? Who talks like that? Tories. I mean, even regardless of, of, of what anyone might say out with the chamber, there, there are certain standards. Maybe what we're seeing is just, you know, all the, the antipathy in Brexit is just allowing that all to slip. I don't know. But what, was, what was even the context? There, there, there wasn't really any Before context. He, had he, he, he hadn't said anything yet. He just uh, basically stood up to, mm-hmm. to open the debate. Mm-hmm. Um, the speaker called them to speak and then you just heard this shout from, from the Tory benches, yeah, go back to Sky. I mean, you could. All, I mean, they could shout that at anyone whose constituency is in London, exactly. couldn't they? But what does that say? You know, you're not, yeah. the, the further north you are from Westminster, the more contempt we have for you. I don't know. That's, I, don't, that's I just can't understand it. Why are they making themselves the villains in such an obvious way? It's always been the argument, isn't it? But just that, that rhetoric, that go back to rhetoric yeah. is is absolutely toxic if you were to to say a phrase like that to someone who'd come from another country someone who perhaps wasn't from Europe someone you know of a, of a, a, a minority ethnic background there would be absolute outroar uh, uproar rather uh, outrage uh, if I can put those two together and, and, and have create a new coinage um, it's, it's, it's no less unacceptable to say it to a, a Scottish member of parliament No and imagine uh, an SNP Member in Hollywood said that to to Richard Leonard or something, you know, mm-hmm. back to England. I mean, mm-hmm. th- that would dominate the news cycle for for yep, days and absolutely. days and days. And the SNP yeah. would quite rightly be called out on that. Mm-hmm. Um, the SNP obviously laid down this this motion of of no confidence um, along with the other parties last night. And Theresa May, there are there's a lot of debate about all these kind of arcane Westminster procedures. You know, does the government have to allow this? Does the Speaker allow this? Something are the SNP guilty of, of trying to play too much by Westminster rules here. Um, I remember in the summer Ian Blackford um, walked out and that was that, that felt like a sort of a moment when the SNP was suddenly going to you know change the game and, and, and stop start doing things a little bit differently and we haven't really seen anything from them since, have we? We've seen them kind of using these motions and, and stuff to kind of move something but I, th- I thought we'd see a wee bit more of a 
of, of the kind of rebellion from the SNP? Well, it depends what they're rebelling about. I think what's interesting if you if you read our letters pages is how many of our readers don't really agree with the SNP's effort to save Britain from Brexit. Um, now, whether that in some cases is a, a sort of cynical approach, you know, the worse things get for the UK, the more likely we are to get independence, but I don't think it's, it, it is always as cynical as that. I think the, people are aware that this is probably not going to work. Um, and if anything, perhaps a lot of Nicola Sturgeon's interventions or Ian Blackford's might have the opposite result. Um, of of making a people's vote less likely, so I I think if they chose the Brexit issue to do another kind of stunt, if you could call it, want to call it that, um, there'd be a lot of their own supporters who would maybe think, no, save that for the independence question, or save that for um, reserve powers, double, you know, powers being grabbed, and wouldn't necessarily think it was the SNP's place to do a stunt because they didn't want Brexit. I think as well. There's a level of complexity when it comes to the talks required to put a motion of no confidence of this manner together. You know, we don't see them every day, and we don't see them every day for that reason. Okay, you were at an event on Monday night? Yes. Yeah, um, and John Curtis, the John man Curtis himself, was, was, was speaking there. He the was. I mean, he was just one of uh, four excellent speakers. Uh, Kirsty Hughes, who often writes for us, she, she was speaking as well. Um... And, I mean, I'm not going to say that John Curtis was the headliner, but he kind of swaggered up as if he was. And, um, it's just, I, do you know that, that Twitter account is, is it's John, John Curtis, Curtis on the TV? Yeah, yeah I, know, I almost, almost took a picture to say no, because he's here right yeah. now at Glasgow yeah. University. So it was really interesting. There was lots of really interesting uh, details uh, discussed by the, the various panellists. But I think some of John Curtis's um, comments about polls were quite... not shocking but quite quite startling um, because some of the previous speakers had said oh the polls now show um, a majority for Remain and you could sort of see him kind of twitching and going oh well do they show that you know let's look into it more, de- more deeply which is of course what he does and one of the things he said that was quite surprising was that if you ask people if they want another EU referendum um, they, they're not keen if you ask them if they want a final say or a people's vote they say yes and the two things are the same thing. So it does make you wonder about the psychology and the way people are viewing the whole thing. And he also said, what was it he said? The, the fact that it's now maybe about 53 for Remain, 47 for Leave, is not the product of more Leave voters switching to Remain than vice versa, which seems really counterintuitive. But one of the, one of the things was quite a lot of people who voted Leave I've taken the view, well, I voted leave once and I'm not doing it again, even though, well, if you want that, you would need to vote again at a second referendum. Like, there's no, there's not necessarily logic. And I think that's what we need to be wary of, that you can look at polls and you can say, well, logically, this looks terrible uh, as an outcome. But even before you start thinking about what the campaign would be like and what fresh lies might be told, you still can't necessarily trust. I don't want to say, you know, the people don't know what they're doing here, but also, a lot of people probably don't know what they're doing here and probably look and go, well, if the MPs can't figure this out, how am I supposed to know? And I think mm-hmm. that's a really legitimate position it's, to take. It's a complex narrative. You know, there's there's no straight line here. It's, it's you know, all up and down around the corner. Motions, counter-motions, just non-stop argument. It's, it's not surprising that, um, you know, a, a swathe of the public um, wouldn't necessarily feel up to date on the latest. Because let's face it, we'll do this podcast, we'll go out, something else will have happened. 
Yeah, yeah. And also there's too many options as well. You know, it's, it's one thing to do a poll on a referendum with two results. But the more questions you introduce, the less keen people are. So if there was four options on the people's vote ballot, people would be uneasy. I mean, I'd be uneasy if, you know, because you'd be like, well, is it single transferable vote as well? Mm. If it's, you have to give your second and third choice. But those might all contradict each other. And it does become too much I think to put to the public particularly when we're still being told there might be a fourth option or there might be a labour option which there isn't but people could be forgiven for thinking there was. So, so was he saying basically that that, that uh, leavers hadn't necessarily changed their minds but they just were less likely to vote in the second time and, and that's what pushes the, the kind of remain. Some have changed their mind but some have changed their mind in the other direction. Okay. For and much in the same way that people have about Scottish independence yeah. since then. It's interesting that the polls themselves haven't changed, the kind of headline figures, yeah. but beneath that there's a lot of movement from yes to no and from no to yes. But I think John Curtis has already said, you know, really be wary of anything to do with Scottish independence that is based on a hypothetical to do with Brexit because people can't be, because he knows from other kind of polling, you can't be relied upon to say if this happened, then what? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people who maybe are, I don't want to say die-hard unionists, they possibly don't identify as unionists at all, but people sort of don't want to even suggest they might ever vote yes. But if push came to shove and the conditions were totally different, maybe they would. Maybe they, yeah, mm. maybe they don't even say, and again, people say one thing and vote another way. Well, um, if anything else, the, the emergence of John Curtis means that things are, are, are starting to ramp up a bit, isn't it? So when, when he's around, there's, there's, there's obviously stuff going down. Um, <laughs> Along with, uh, and we'll probably just touch on this briefly because we want to move on, but, but the army are being mobilised for, for no deal. Um, Which makes me feel a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> you always know things are going well when the army are, are, are on standby, don't you? Um, I was wondering the other night, someone was talking about stockpiling, and it made me think, um, see when Aldi brought out those plush carrots for Christmas? Yeah. I actually just looked because I was fascinated to see how many went on eBay? Because, you know, do people actually want these things or are they just really cynical? So they go to Aldi and buy, like, ten, you know, foot high... No, it was, like, a metre-high plush carrot uh-huh. and then put it straight on eBay. So what... If you were if you were going to stockpile one thing, what would it be? Are you suggesting that people are stockpiling these plush carrots because of Brexit? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that if people are stockpiling plush carrots cynically to sell them, what might people be stockpiling right uh, now okay. with a view to selling well, on the that, black market? There was that incredible... Um, video remember last year um, during the, the, the beast from the east the big freed and the, the, there was that guy in Greenock who bought all the milk in Tesco <gasps> what to and sell it on yes yeah, I yeah, do yeah. remember because no, no one had any milk anywhere I believe, I believe I'll correct you I believe that was for Glasgow Tesco oh, was it? <laughs> okay. well anyway so there's just this right. fantastic photograph of a guy with like a trolley full of every uh, carton of milk that Tesco had but he was um, then taken to his own corner shop yeah to sell for yeah. a tenner each oh he basically. had a shop I was going to say yeah. he must have had a big fridge no yeah. well yes yes <laughs> I have a tiny fridge and a Tiny freezer, so, so you're not going to do cold things. You're not going. That's not going to be. Gonna be it's going to be quite tricky. Tins, tins is the key. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we can we can maybe. But, get, but I mean, I genuinely am thinking about this. Yeah. I genuinely am thinking. And well, the holiday thing. Do you think that. people have, have you got your holiday book beyond March? Well, when I would you take that? I, I, well, Callum, we, we can talk about my holidays. Um, <laughs> but when when the result came through, I did panic book a family holiday to Berlin. Um, and now I feel like really really justified I feel like that was a really good decision we went, we had a lovely time they'll never remember it, the kids are too small but they've been to Europe but you know, <laughs> hey, seven you euros last time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly, seven, seven euros, euros too much <laughs> nuts 
<laughs> okay, well maybe we can do a special podcast closer to the time about how to stockpile for Brexit and the, and the best things to buy. I mean, um, the National does have an online not. shop, so I mean, yeah, you know, we, I'm not we, saying we're going to get involved yeah. in profiteering, but mm. if we were, what would we sell? Beans, just tins of beans. <laughs> uh, right, anyway, we better move on. Um, so the other big news story today, I suppose, is uh, immigration kind of related to Brexit because this is the, the immigration white paper which has been published um, today I don't think it's, it's out it's going, yet but it's going to be published but it's been well trailed and we um, yeah. and we know more or less what's in it now you Christine have done lots and lots of uh, immigration stories in, during the years with the National uh, and you've got one tomorrow I think we're probably okay to talk about that now, this is an exclusive story in, in tomorrow's paper um, but we'll, we can give it away now at least give a wee taste of it away now, I think. So, uh, do you want to talk us through that? Um, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? Uh, because I told everyone we wouldn't do it until tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Give us some clues. Just like... it's a good, it's a good news story. It's a good news story. Um, Callum's right. Over the the my the course of my time at the National, I've done a lot of immigration stories, as has my colleague Greg Russell. Um, all based around real people, with real experiences in Scotland, trying to secure their futures in Scotland. Scotland um, amidst all different kinds of home office bureaucracy. Luckily, we have we have a very good news story for tomorrow. I'm delighted to be able to tell this story. Um, but from what we're seeing for the from the, the trails from the white paper, um, there there aren't going to be a lot of good news stories in in that regard. Um, Callum, you said that immigration was was um, kind of pertinent to the Brexit issue. I would argue that Brexit is is um, to a large extent about immigration. All the rhetoric that we saw around um, the, the kind of pre-vote period was all about immigration, and and um, you know that that famous um, poster of uh, refugees kind of walking in. Um, the White Paper proposes uh, a number of curbs on uh, people entering the UK, low-skilled, high-skilled, di- different issues there. Um, what, of course, they're creating is, is supposed to be a one-size-fits-all for the whole of the UK. And we know that one-size does not fit all for the whole of the UK. We know that Scotland has very different um, demographics than, than different areas in, in England have. Um, we know that the Scottish Government has been calling Scottish industry as well has been calling for for a long time for for some kind of control some kind of levers over population so that we can attract the workers that we need and we can fill skills gaps and we can ensure that we build sustainable communities I would have concerns um, from what we're seeing in, in uh, the trails that, that this is possible under what we're looking at well there's kind of there's two aspects to it I suppose isn't there there's one aspect is that this clearly has been designed without even considering the needs of Scotland, isn't it? And this is what's making people like Nicola Sturgeon very, very angry today. And the other aspect is that that there's this question of the the net migration target that the Tories have. So this is this was uh, I think it was dreamed up by David Cameron back in 2009, possibly, which was that they they, they committed to get net migration down to the tens of thousands, um, regardless of what the impact would be on the economy. Um, it seems like quite a, you know, a, a populist policy aimed at, uh, aimed at England. Um, and they've failed to do that completely mm-hmm. um, over the last six years. And um, I suppose Theresa May, the story of, of Theresa, May's, um, Theresa May being in high office is that she has very, very, very strong views on immigration, doesn't it? And and, and it's strange. You, you wonder if, if, if it was a different prime minister, um, would there still be this kind of focus on getting that target down? I don't know. 
I mean, is that her policy because she thinks that's what the people of the UK want? I'm, I'm not really clear why she has that policy. And, and the question I would ask, I think it's absolutely right that the SNP focus on Scotland's distinct needs. But is the Tory policy fit for England? It's certainly not fit for Scotland, but I don't think it's even fit for England either. It's not as if the NHS in England doesn't have, you know, foreign-born nurses and doctors and, and staff as well. I'm quite sure this policy is a bad policy in terms of, like, logic rather than knee-jerk sort of xenophobia or racism. It's just that it's even worse for us. I don't think it's a good policy in terms of, you know, logic and evidence base. But also the, the weird thing about Brexit is that so much of it has been about this immigration. But let's be honest, the people who are the most sort of violently anti-immigrant in the UK are probably even less keen on the immigrants who come from out with the EU. So it, it, it just, I mean, it just doesn't really, it defies logic, I think, the well, whole approach to immigration. And, and there's no one at UK level who is willing to talk about the positive benefits of immigration in the mm -hmm. same way that Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP are. And, and it just strikes me as it's a complete... I mean, they're terrified almost of, of English public opinion on this matter. Mm -hmm. It's it's a very thorny issue, um, it seems, when it comes to public debate um, in, in England. And also, let's remember um, that there there's been a significant rise as well um, in, in waves of concern about immigration also. Um, it's, it's a very difficult one. At, at the heart of this is people, you know, people who, who, you know, perhaps they do have concerns about immigration, perhaps they do have concerns about jobs, perhaps they do have concerns about local services. Are those always best answered by, by restricting the number of people or the types of people who can come and, and make lives in those communities? I'm not sure that they are. I mean, Labour's position seems to to me... Well, I, I, I suppose I'm not entirely clear what it is right now, but I think back to the, the bigoted woman days. Oh, yes. Uh, speaking of Gordon you know, unfortunate language being, you know, caught on record well, he, or whatever. He paid for that as well. He though. did pay yeah. for that, but it's interesting that that was his sort of obvious... Well, clearly his feelings about that then, but then quite soon after that we had those Labour controls on immigration that's mugs. Right, yes. and that's what always sticks yeah. in my head if someone yeah. says to me what's Labour's policy I wouldn't necessarily you know consult their manifesto but I remember that mug and I think putting that on a mug took a lot of a lot of people signed that off mm -hmm. and didn't think hmm, maybe this isn't the best and maybe this is going to come back to haunt us but yeah. why not I don't think it's necessarily the case that people in Scotland are less racist or less um, sort of protective of what they see as their entitlement to housing, to jobs etc. But it is about telling a positive story but, but a truthful story. Mm -hmm. So surely Labour should be trying to put some kind of distance between themselves and the Tories and there's an opportunity. It's about how you sell the policy mm -hmm. because if you're selling it based on facts and figures and this is good for the country and do you want someone to attend to you when you go to the hospital... I don't really understand how that can be a losing argument because you don't have anyone, you don't have the Tories in Scotland really countering what the SNP are saying, or not successfully. Labour's policy seems to be based on this 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 myth that immigration drives down wages for workers. And and the evidence just doesn't back that up. Um, so anyway, there's plenty of Labour policies that the evidence doesn't back up. So we'll uh, we'll just leave that there for this week. Um, thanks very much to Kirstine and Shona. Um, I don't think we'll be we'll be doing one next week. But we'll be back in the new year. Um, 
we've got lots of exciting plans for the new year actually some new columnists uh, I think we're going to be launching a wee ginger podcast as well with mm. Paul Kavanagh um, oh we just got our wee ginger cuddly toys in today did you see them? No, no I've not seen them. Not the wee ginger dog? They're <laughs> fantastic. They're Only available well. if you subscribe to The National. Oh, very good. There we are. All right, thanks everyone, and we'll see you in the new year. <laughs>